The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the podcast, its host, or sponsors. If you would like to discuss the murder in your family on this podcast, please be sure to visit themurderinmyfamily.com for more information. You can support this podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash the murder in my family. This episode may contain unsettling material or subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for episode 66 of the murder in my family. I'm your host, Mike Morford. In this episode, we'll be discussing the case of 47-year-old Linda Surgeon of Preston, who was brutally stabbed to death in her Texas home in October 2012. The killer was determined to be the son of Linda's landlords, and it turned out he had a long and violent criminal history. We'll jump into this case after some quick housekeeping. Independent podcasts like this one depend on word of mouth to bring in new listeners. So if you find that you enjoy this podcast, please take a minute to rate and review it wherever you listen to your podcast, and be sure to introduce a friend to the show and invite them to listen. With your help, the Murder of My Family can continue to grow and reach a new audience. To learn more about the show or the cases we discuss, please visit themurderofmyfamily.com. You can also find us on Twitter with the handle at MurderMyFam or by searching for the Murder of My Family podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to support the show through a Patreon donation, it's always appreciated, and you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash the Murder of My Family. Benefits of supporting the show on Patreon include early access to ad-free episodes of the show, plus bonus content not heard in regular episodes. Support may also include thank you cards, stickers, and more. If you prefer to, you can also support the show through a PayPal donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash the murder of my family. In each episode, I'll give shout outs to any new supporters. In this episode, I'd like to thank Catherine Hinmarsh and thank you to all of the supporters that generously donate and help keep the show growing and improving. One more note before we get started. Please consider supporting any of the sponsors that you hear on the murder of my family the way that those sponsors support the show. It's with our sponsor support that the show can go on and continue to provide a platform to share these stories with you in every episode. Thank you, and now on with the show. Linda Preston was born July 31, 1965 in Weatherford, Texas, to Johnny and Addie Surgeoner. She was raised as a Baptist and attended Weatherford High School. In 1985, Linda married Jackie Loggins, and together they had two children, Brian and Christy. Eventually, Linda and Jackie divorced, and Linda started life over as a single mother. Linda kept busy with work. Her jobs varied and included work as an escrow officer for the state of Texas, as well as being an attorney in Fort Worth. Linda was an avid Texas Longhorns fan and golfer, and she loved helping people. Eventually, in 2010, Linda remarried to a man named Patrick Preston, but unfortunately, their time together would be short-lived. In late 2011 to early 2012, Linda began to experience medical problems related to her thyroid. She began to lose mobility, 
and despite once being active, she was now mostly reduced to being stuck in her living room. In fact, things got so bad that instead of sleeping in her bed, she had to sleep upright in a chair in her living room. It was during this troubled year that Linda lived with Patrick at a rented home in Weatherford, Texas, about 40 miles west of Fort Worth. Linda and Patrick rented their home from a nice couple named Juan and Anita Treo, who were also business owners. During their time renting from the Treos, Linda and Patrick didn't have any problems. But what they didn't know was that the Treos had a son named Hector, who had a violent and criminal past. His list of crimes included burglary, assault, and home invasion. It would only be a matter of time when Hector's and Linda's paths would cross, with deadly consequences. In mid-2012, Hector was fresh out of prison and working for his parents. On October 11th, he went to Linda's home to do some work on the property. That night, Linda was home alone as Patrick didn't come home. The next day, Linda's daughter Christy was in the hospital, slated to have a C-section. She was excited for the birth of her son, and although Linda couldn't be there for Christy due to her illness, Christy wanted to share the experience with her mom over the phone. But Christy's calls to Linda went unanswered. Christy called repeatedly, but still got no answer. Other people also called and got no reply. And collectively, they were worried about Linda. Eventually, someone called Patrick to voice her concerns, and he went home to check on Linda. That's when he found this 47-year-old wife dead on the living room floor. She had been stabbed repeatedly and her throat slashed. The police were called, but before an investigation really even started, Hector Treo confessed to a priest that he had killed Linda. The police were called in, and he was arrested. The news of Linda's murder devastated her family. What should have been a happy time for her daughter Christy, who was giving birth to her son, was marred by the tragedy. Christy gave birth as planned, but to this day, her son's birthday is a reminder of that tragic day almost 12 years ago. Because of his lengthy criminal record, and wanting to ensure he wouldn't get the death penalty, Hector Treo pled guilty to Linda's murder and was sentenced to life in prison without parole. He claims that he killed Linda because she wouldn't let him use his car, but perhaps the full truth will never be known. Linda would have turned 55 the weekend this episode is being released. She was robbed of spending time with her grandchildren and watching them grow up, and her family was robbed of their time with Linda all because someone with a long, violent record who shouldn't have been on the street came to Linda's home. Linda's family believes that this didn't have to happen. They feel that Linda should have been made fully aware of the dangerous person who was connected to her through her landlords. Christy joined me to discuss her mom's senseless and tragic murder, a discussion that we had on what would have been her mom's birthday. That conversation is coming up in just a moment. Is there something that interferes with your happiness? Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? I know there's been times when I wanted to go out and do something, but didn't make it because things I had on my mind kept me from doing what I wanted to do. 
If you find yourself in a similar situation, then BetterHelp Online Counseling just might be the right solution for you. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient. And you can start communicating with a counselor in under 24 hours. This isn't self-help. It's professional counseling. Send a message to your counselor anytime. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. And BetterHelp can assist you with so many things, from depression, stress, and anxiety, to family conflicts, sleep issues, and more. Anything you share is confidential. And while BetterHelp is not a crisis line, it is convenient, professional, and affordable. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener of The Murder of My Family, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com slash family. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Once again, go to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot slash family, and you'll save 10% on your first month of BetterHelp. Hi, Christine. Thanks for being here to talk about your mom, Linda's case with us. Thank you. Your mom's story is scary because she wasn't murdered by some random stranger on the street. She wasn't, uh, there wasn't some boogeyman that came in. She was murdered in her own home by a relative of the landlords that were running your mom's home to her, someone that she should have been able to trust. And and I think that's what's what's very frightening about her case. And we'll get to all of that, obviously, talk about that. But before we do, can you tell us a little bit about your mom and what kind of person she was? Oh, she was very enthusiastic. I remember like one of my favorite things to tell my now husband is my mom decided that she wanted to do anything and everything. And she did. (laughs) She worked for right before she passed away. She worked for a law office in downtown Fort Worth where she actually defended people like this that did what they did to her. Um, she's worked in the schools. She drove our school bus for a little while. <laughs> she's just done, she did so much with her life. She wanted, like I said, to do anything and everything. So so she tried different things. It sounds like different uh, careers, different uh, things to keep busy. Oh, yeah. She always wanted to help people. Any Anything that she could do to make somebody else smile or just even help them out, like if they were struggling, she would do in a heartbeat. It didn't matter if it made her struggle or not. She was just a genuine person. I, I know this is a... This- this is going to run on the the weekend of her birthday. So it must be an emotional time for you right now. And that's been a, a, a tough time. I imagine without her. Oh, absolutely. And I keep waiting for the year that it gets easier. What it was it? That, what is it that you missed most uh, about your mom? It's kind of hard to tell. She was my best friend. We did absolutely everything together, so I'm pretty. The one thing I know for sure is her eyes. She had the prettiest green eyes. If I could point out anything that I miss more than anything, it's just 
looking at her. Something that you you don't realize is going to be something you're you're missing until something like this happens, and then you don't have that in your life. How many people lived in the house with your mom at the time that she was murdered? Currently, it was just her husband then. And everyone else was out of the house by then? Yeah, barely. I was still on my wild streak, so I kind of jumped back and forth between her house and my dad's. (laughs) How long had your mom been living in that house when she was killed? About a year, I would say. A little bit over a year, even, maybe. Had she ever had any kind of problems or um, any issues while she was living there? No. Honestly, um, the landlords, they're a wonderful family. We didn't expect any of it. So she's, she's running a home from them. Everything's going fine. No issues. And, and then one day that all changed. Yes. You mentioned it was just your mom, uh, and your stepfather living, living in the home at the time. Yes. And security wise, everything was good. They never had any problems with anyone coming into the house, breaking in none of that stuff. No, we live in a very small community. They were kind of out in the country. I mean, stuff like this happens in this community, just not as often. If you could, tell us just a little bit about the neighborhood itself. Well, surrounding that neighborhood, it's a very quiet, like your closest neighbor might be about two acres away. All the houses around there are super nice houses. I mean, you wouldn't go into that neighborhood and feel, you know how sometimes whenever you go into a certain part of town and you just kind of get a little bit at ease and you're like, okay, this is a good place. And then you drive down the road a little bit and then you're like, okay. (laughs) Some of the areas. Might need to look over my shoulder. You wouldn't get that vibe there. It seemed like a nice, safe uh, area. What makes your mom's case uh, especially sad is that she had some uh, health issues, some uh, some illnesses or whatever when, when she was killed. What kind of issues was she battling? We were in the process of getting testing because we didn't know exactly what was going on, but we knew it had something to do with her thyroid. For like the past the year up and leading up into her death, she had gained some weight and just didn't have a lot of movement anymore. She was really brittle, almost like her body was shutting down. And it was forcing her to be at home a lot more often? Yeah, she couldn't even get in her bed. And this was the the entire time she was living there, it sounds like she was going through this. I think that's when it started, yeah. Mm-hmm. It only had gotten bad up until like right before. And she was actually getting a lot better then. So this affected her to where she wasn't able to work during that time? Correct. Remotely working from home when she could. But for the most part, she wasn't working. The day that your mom was killed, can you tell us a little bit about that day, about 
just trying to get a hold of her, maybe knowing something wasn't right? Well, that day, me and my mother, we had our problems. I was a crazy teenager. I ran off and got pregnant. But I came to my senses and I came home. So me and her were working on our relationship and we were getting to a very good place, considering. And she was supposed to be at the hospital with me. I was scheduled to be induced on a Friday. And that Thursday, I had my last follow-up appointment with my doctor. So, of course, the first thing I did was call her to tell her what was going on. The first call I called and she didn't answer. I left a message. I'm like, okay, well, she'll get back to me later. My mom always called me right back. An hour passed. Nothing. And I think it was from then until almost midnight on Thursday, I just kept calling. I just knew that there was something wrong. I didn't know what, but I knew something was really bad. I was at my dad's house at the time, and he told me that, oh, well, we, we need to go get you something to eat because you're not going to be able to eat for a while because I was scheduled to be at the hospital. So we went, we ate. I was still just calling my mom. And at some point, my dad had texted my brother and told him that we needed to go get him. He sent me on the couch, and that's whenever he told me that there was an accident, or how did he say it? He said something bad happened and mom didn't make it. And your your stepfather uh, is the one that found her, your mom's body? Yes. Had he been working that day and, and been out of the house? <laughs> I sure hope for his sake that that's what he was doing, but yes. Okay. Is there, uh, and uh, you can feel free to talk about this as, as much as you want or as little as you want. Is there something you don't believe there uh, involving that? Well, I don't talk to him, so I guess I can. There was other stuff going on with him. This happened on a, correction, this happened late Wednesday. My mother was not found until five o'clock Thursday. He never came home on Wednesday. And whenever he did come home on Thursday, it was only because my grandmother was scared and called him. So he wasn't where he should have been, basically. Exactly. And were were your mom and him on good terms, or were there issues there, do you think? As far as I know, no. But I was her baby girl. She didn't really tell me a lot of her problems. She just kind of kept that out. I mean, I I would assume that there was problems that we didn't know about, but it's hard to tell. Sometimes uh, people, maybe especially parents, don't talk about everything that um, that's they're going through. Oh, yeah. I was going through a lot right then, too, so she was probably just trying to protect me, not make me worry. And how old were you at the time? 
Whenever she passed, I had just turned 20. So this is supposed to be a good time for you. You're, you're having a baby. Um, you, you said you're in a good place with your mom. And then this tragedy happens. Oh, yeah. This was going to be, well, I mean, this was going to be her first grandchild to be a part of, like, the birth part of. We had, um, my brother had adopted a baby. Yeah, pretty much adopted. So, I mean, this was, this was a big one. And she was excited. And her joke to me all the time is if I made her a grandmother before she was 50, she was going to whoop my butt. And I did. <laughs> when you got this news that something happened, your mom didn't make it, what were your initial thoughts? What were you wondering or thinking? Well, I, I don't even know. I just, I went crazy. I had my pregnancy hormones and it was just so much. And then finally, once people started finding out what happened, I kept getting phone calls. And I, then I started going through, okay, well, this is why my family's kept me away from the TV today. This is why they're trying to get me not to talk too much on the phone. Because, like, all day my dad was trying to keep me busy, find something for me to do. And it wasn't that he was trying to be hateful and not tell me. He was scared to tell me because I was pregnant and he didn't want something bad to happen to me and the baby. After he finally got clarity from my doctor that it was okay to tell me and that's whenever they did. It was all about protecting you and, and not wanting you to to get sick or, or have something wrong with your pregnancy. Yeah. Chris said it was okay to talk about it. Uh, how hard was that the process? Did you have questions or just um, what, what were you thinking or what questions were you asking? Well, at that time, nobody knew what happened. So whenever I asked, they just, I think my brother kind of stretched the truth a little because my brother was the one that had to tell me my dad couldn't even get it out. But we didn't know exactly what all happened until that next day. So, I mean, I was asking a whole bunch of questions that nobody could answer. My main thing was like, what happened? Why did it happen? Whenever somebody would say murder back then, it was like, okay, well, that's TV stuff. It doesn't happen. And then it happens to you. And the word itself has a whole new meaning. And it is the scariest word I've ever heard, ever felt. Because it's not just a word, it's a feeling. It affects so many people. Yeah, there's a ripple effect of, of it, you know, going through families and, and affecting everyone. Yeah. I guess early on when, when you did all realize that it was a murder, someone had done this to your mom, did you have any thoughts of, of who it might have been or who might have had a, an issue with your mom or why they might have done that? No. Like, I, that was the one thing that I couldn't stand them because I couldn't figure out who would want to. Because, like I said, she was just such a genuine person. Anybody that has ever met my mother has loved her. 
and she didn't have enemies, anyone uh, that had issues with her that would jump to mind early on. No. Anybody that she would ever meet would become her friend. How soon did police figure out that they the, the person that did this was was a man named Hector Treo? The next day. Supposedly he had went and worked at a church in Fort Worth, which is about fifty where he was. It was anywhere from forty to fifty miles away from where we were. And he had went to a church and confessed to a priest. And I don't know how he got another confession out of him. Somebody else did, and the cops were called, and he was arrested, and he owned up to it right on the spot. Did anyone in your family or mom know him that, or know that he was the son of uh, the landlord? I've seen him. I've talked to him. And I knew that he was the son. I didn't know the full story until all of it happened. But with my mother being sick, they hired him to work on her porch. And him and I'm guessing a cousin was working on the porch at the time of the murder. And that's how he got acquainted with her. Did Were you aware, was anyone in your family aware that he had a violent criminal history? No. To me, he's my brother's age. I looked at him like, okay, well, my brother's not capable. I mean, I see him at my brother's age. I'm just 20. I'm still, I'm like figuring out my life and now figuring out how to be a mother. So, I mean, I see these people and we conversated and he talked like my brother. Like, Decent guy. Like he could have been one but, of the brother's friends, even. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is a guy with a long criminal history for assaults, robbery, home invasions, that kind of stuff. And yet he was at your mom's house that day uh, to work there without any kind of warning that he was uh, dangerous. She didn't know anything about that, right? Correct. Do you think that the, they had an obligation to tell your mom, hey, this is her son is coming over, and by the way, he's got this this kind of history? Is it something you feel that your mom should have known and been able to say, hey, I don't want him here? Oh, absolutely. Because like I said, his parents are amazing people. They really are. And they've done, they did so much for my mother. And they helped her out in ways. I can't even explain, but they did know some bits of their family weren't quite amazing as they were, and they could have avoided a lot of pain on our part and their part if they just would have said something. It doesn't matter what offense it is. It doesn't matter how little or how big. That's why on job applications, you have to put if you had jail time if you've had a felony it's not that they're trying to be discriminative they want to know who they have and who they're going to hire just like whenever you rent out a home if there's going to be crazy neighbors around 
You should know about that. If you're running from an amazing family that has a son that decided to go AWOL, you need to talk about it. It came to light this was all over him wanting to use your mom's car and her not uh, letting him. Is that correct? Well, see, that's what he's telling everybody, and that could be. But nobody will know that full story. Supposedly, it was him and somebody else there. The other person was cleared because they said that he was outside on the phone during this time. He was wanting my mother's car to go get drugs. When my mother said no, there was a fight, and he had used one of our kitchen knives to kill her. And and you mentioned he was... admitted to early, he was arrested early on, and then eventually to to be spared the death penalty, I guess, he pled guilty to, to murdering your mom. What kind of sentence was he given? So this is... I'm a talker. I'm so sorry about that, but I don't really get to talk about this much, and I'm just super excited to get to. So this is the deal. In our county, we don't get that decision. We get... We'll get counseling through it, and right before any decisions are made, we all get to go into this little room and talk about our feelings. And one of our feelings that did come up, if we offer him life in prison without parole, if he just admits to it, what would you think about that? We all went around the room. Pretty much what they were asking is, Do we want the death penalty or do we want life in prison? We all went around the room. Everybody shared their views. It got to me. And I'm like, well, at this point, what does it matter? Because for one, I knew that they were going to make whatever decision they wanted. And for two, it's not going to bring my mother back. But how it was worded, pretty much we didn't have a say-so in that. They decided, because they did tell us, but we're going to offer him life in prison without parole if he admits to it. Well, of course he's going to admit to it. He was in prison before and supposedly told his psychiatrist that he wanted to know what it felt like to kill somebody. But now he's walking the streets and he kills my mom. Exactly what he said he was going to do. So let's go ahead and just let him decide his fate. Why should he get to decide? I don't think I should get to decide because that's a very heavy request, but it's ridiculous. And it's not just me. I've heard of so many other cases that are just the same. It's always the offender that gets to decide their case in the end. And of of course, they're looking out for themselves and their own best interest, not necessarily looking out for what's best for your family or for the victim's family. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, don't get me wrong. If they would have put him on death row, it probably would have made me sick to my stomach because that's one thing I did get from my mom. I'm a carer. And I couldn't, I couldn't stand knowing that somebody's life was taken and then they're going to take somebody else's. But at the same time, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. I, I mean, I don't like the idea that he is 
now sitting in prison, and he can see his family. He can write letters. He can talk to his people, and I can't. Although he's in prison, he still can can do certain things that your mom doesn't have the chance to do that you don't have the chance to do. Yeah. I don't, and it's just not fair. But like I said, just turn around and let him decide, okay, well, I'd rather be in prison than be dead. So, yeah, sure, I'll admit to it. And is that what he was ultimately sentenced to? Was he ultimately sentenced to life in prison without parole? Yep. No, it was a sentence. We had the trial date almost six months to the day after the murder. I I think you mentioned that it was, uh, you know, it won't bring your mom back um, either way. But are you, were you satisfied with the sentence knowing that he couldn't hurt anyone else? Yes, I was. I I think Parker County really messed up that he can't hurt anybody else. But my thing is, is he shouldn't have had the chance to hurt the one person he did. Because he was a violent offender before this. With the record that he had that long uh, record, he, he shouldn't have been on the street to, to be able to do Absolutely. Your mom is gone. He's in prison. Uh, there's no, nobody wins here. Your family's forever changed. What is the most tragic part of this entire thing What when you look back on it? She never got to see my baby and see what a wonderful little boy he grew up to be. She missed out on everything. There's still questions that I have about motherhood that I can't get answered. Like, oh, well, how old was I whenever I started walking? When I started talking? I mean, my dad can give me a roundabout, but he doesn't know those dates. That was my mom. The one person to, that's supposed to teach me how to be a good mother. I was robbed of that. Your son's robbed of having his grandmother, too. I didn't get to have that beautiful moment in the hospital whenever I first held my baby. I screamed the entire time wanting my mother instead. By the time he was actually here... I don't know. I can't even promise you that those were tears of joy. Like, at that point, my entire life was a lie. I didn't know. I didn't know which way was up. And did you wind up having your son the day uh, the day she died or the day after she died? Or, or did you put that off? I ended up having him the day after. Oh. I was already scheduled to be induced and... Whenever I got to the hospital, they told me that he was going to be there anyway that day. So every time your your son has a birthday, you also have to be reminded of this tragic day as well. Yeah. I can't celebrate his birthday on his birthday. I have to plan his parties months of, like about a month in advance. Like it's coming up and I get anxiety every time because like today, her birthday And then two months later, 
day she died. I get a little bit of a breathing room. And usually I plan my son's birthday on my birthday because it's usually a good day for me. But the one thing he always asked me, like my, my husband, he's like, why Carson would ask my husband, why, why is mommy always sad on my birthday? Is it because of Lena? And we'd have to have that talk all over again. The fact that my son is going to know evil this early hurts my heart. That's something kids shouldn't have to have to know about it at that age. No. Just, it's, it's very, very sad, very tragic all the way around, you know, you know, losing your mom, him losing his grandmother. It's, uh, again, I know it doesn't bring your, uh, mom back. I am happy though that the person that did this is in jail and can't hurt someone else. And just very tragic. And I, I definitely appreciate you sharing your mom's story with us. Absolutely. Thank you once again for joining me for this episode of The Murder of My Family. As many of you know, I often play previews at the end of my episodes of other podcasts I think you'll enjoy. Well, today I'm excited to be playing a preview of a podcast I co-produce called Scene of the Crime. Season 1 was all about the murders of Libby German and Abby Williams in Delphi, Indiana. Season 2 will be out this fall and the victims and circumstances probably couldn't be any different from Season 1. But the mystery we dive into is just as perplexing. So enjoy this teaser trailer of Season 2 of Scene of the Crime, and look for the first episode to air this fall. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And before you go, remember that every murder victim means something to somebody. The young couple sneaks off on a romantic getaway to another state. Their liaison is illicit, a clandestine weekend getaway from his wife and her child. On a whim, they stop at a hotel which, unbeknownst to them, is hosting a mortician's convention. They are given the last available room after a late cancellation. After heading to their room, they are never seen alive again. In a busy hotel, with people coming and going at all hours, the couple is murdered in their bed in a bloody and brutal scene. The killer left behind some sinister clues before he or she vanished into the night, and no one saw or heard a thing. The gory tableau the unsuspecting hotel maid encountered the next day as she entered room 260 was just the beginning. This is a story so twisted, so complex, so unpredictable, that even after 40 years of investigation by multiple law enforcement agencies, the killer remains at large. In Season 2 of Scene of the Crime, we will examine this decades-old mystery. We have been given unprecedented access to police files and records, family and friends of the victims, and the insight of members of law enforcement who worked for years to solve this horrific murder. Season 2 will examine the victims, multiple suspects, and other possibly related crimes, and potentially not one, but two serial killers. We will feature interviews with many of those involved in this tragic case, 
and we will unpack all angles of one of the most comprehensive investigations in the history of this Midwest state. Listen to Season 2 of Scene of the Crime, coming to your favorite podcast app this fall.